Hello to everyone out there, and welcome to another episode of The Mark Guy Show. This is episode 9, and it is July 28th. So, I have stayed away quite a bit from talking too much about economics and, and finance. I've been talking more about political issues and more, I guess, issues that are more in the news due to the election and in American politics, there's not a whole lot of talking about the Fed or talking about economics at anything more than an elementary and very misleading level. But the the Fed had its uh, had its FOMC meeting this week, and nobody expected them to raise rates, and there was no chance they were going to raise rates at this meeting. And We've known that really since the June meeting. Uh, this is the this is the last meeting until September, so there's a couple month lag now after this meeting. Uh, but this has just become it's become like Groundhog Day, really. How the media and really the whole financial establishment reacts to what the Fed does. They've been having their cake and eating it too. That's been their attempt, and it's been working, actually, for a while. They've talked out of both sides of their mouth at the Fed because they really don't have an intention to raise rates. Um, they raised rates last December. It was really a face-saving type of move because they talked about it for so long. If they hadn't raised rates at the end of last year, you couldn't have this narrative now where people are actually talking like, they might now raise rates in September. Uh, I have a uh, I have a Wall Street Journal article up, and this is the first paragraph. And I swear you could copy and paste this exact opening paragraph into any article after any of the recent Fed meetings, and it would hold ground if you just changed the date or changed the month of September. So this is the the paragraph. The Federal Reserve opened the door to an interest rate increase later this year, possibly as early as September, after a policy meeting at which officials concluded the economy is on more solid footing and risks to the outlook have diminished. So this has been the narrative after every one of their meetings. Um, maybe the last part of that where they've said that risks to the outlook have diminished, they've kind of kept teetering back and forth on that. Like one meeting it might be, oh, we're concerned about risk. Uh, some of these new risks have come out. Um, I know in the last meeting it was due to the, the jobs reports. Uh, there had been some some pretty concerning numbers there. Uh, and then the next time they say, oh, well, they're improving, so maybe next meeting we can improve or we can raise rates. And then at the next meeting they'll say, oh, there's this concerning data and we're not quite sure. And that's they've been going back and forth playing this game all year. And, I mean, really they've been playing it for years the reason why I said this year is because they did actually raise rates nominally in December of 2015. Like I said before, really a, a face-saving type of move. But they've grasped at so many different straws to really keep this entire game going. So Brexit gave them a great excuse. They can keep talking about Brexit for the rest of the year. You know, we come to September, and, no and there's a meeting in November as well, they may talk about the potential fallout of a Trump presidency <laughs> and we can't risk raising rates now because, oh, if, if Trump becomes president, all hell could break loose. It, it, 
early in the earlier in the year it was China talking about uh, the risks apparent in China that 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 was going to have this huge effect on the United States financial markets and all this uncertainty is why we can't raise rates. So I don't know how much longer they can keep this game up. I, I think there is evidence that the markets are starting to kind of wake up to the whole heist. So I was looking at, there's a, there's a cool uh, FedWatch tool through the CME group. Uh, I'm not sure if, who out there has played around with this, but basically based on future futures prices, it predicts, gives a probability of what the Fed funds target rate is going to be going into the future and as each each meeting. So, for example, for September right now, according to futures prices, the current probability is is 82% that the Fed funds rate stays the same at the next meeting, 18% that it's raised to 50 to 75 basis points. And if you look into the future, and it hadn't been like this, uh, but all the way up until May 3rd of 2017, according to the futures prices, there's at least a 50% probability in every single one of those meetings that the target rate remains 25 to 50 basis points. So there's no change from now until May of 2017. None of these meetings are giving the possibility or any probability that the target rate moves down to zero to 25 basis points. But I'm kind of surprised that that's not a possibility built into these futures prices. But I, that's pretty wild that they're, that you could bet based on these prices that rates will stay 25 to 50 basis points. And according to this, you would have you would have a better shot at winning than losing because there's at least a 50% chance at every single one of those meetings that it stays the same versus any other potential outcome. So I think the markets are finally starting to adjust to this, start, finally starting to pick up on the fact that the Fed is not going to raise rates and it can't raise rates. The Fed definitely isn't going to raise rates before the election because Janet Yellen has a very vested interest in Hillary Clinton winning the presidency. And if if the economy goes into the tank, which I think even another small, small jump in rates would do, it would cause a, a quick crash. I mean, look at what happened in the new year right after the Fed raised rates just to 25 to 50 basis points, which is still historically low. 50 to 75 basis points would still be historically low. These are still wildly low rates if you look at any time throughout history. But if that happens before the election, there will be at least a correction in the stock market. At the very least, I mean, if not, if not full out recession, it will be bad. And I, I think it's the right move. I think we need to raise rates. We need to go through that pain. I think it's, it's, a, it's a necessary evil that we have to go through. Uh, but kind of understandably, the Fed is, the Fed is afraid to do it. They, they can't politically do it. They've backed themselves into this corner. Peter Schiff calls it uh, the Monetary Roach Hotel. Uh, you can you can check in, but you can never leave. Or once you check in, you can never leave. And that's really what they've done with this QE1, QE2, QE3. And really, it looks like we're going to be in QE infinity unless unless they allow rates to rise to market levels and there is a correction, a recession, quite possibly significantly worse than what we saw in 2008. Unless that happens 
they are ba- they are going to continually be playing this game, keeping rates low, and and just trying to keep the bubbles pumped up. And if the bubble bursts, try to blow it back up again. Th- that's been their game, and you can only play this game for so long. It it has to come to an end at some point. And to go back to Peter Schiff, I mean, he he makes a really good point that he thinks ultimately it'll be a currency collapse. It'll be a dollar collapse that really causes us to need to wake up and for rates to need to rise to market levels. Otherwise, the currency will just be destroyed beyond all recognition. And then at that point, the dollar would no longer be the universal currency used around the world. It would no longer be, there would no longer be the, the petrodollar, the, the oil standard. You know, it would become, the euro would become the de facto currency used around the world or the yuan or the yen, you know, whatever whatever potential other currency uh, would be adopted, but it would no longer be the dollar if there was hyperinflation or, I mean, just even very strong inflation, which inevitably with the bubbles that we've blown up would develop into hyperinflation. And I would hope the world would see that if inflation really picked up, that it's kind of something that would be very, very hard to slow down. Absent a huge rise in rates, which... I guarantee you if that's happening to the dollar, the Fed is not going to want to drastically rise or drastically raise rates. They would have to at some point, but the way that this government operates, and I count the Fed as being part of the government, I'm independent my ass, but the way this government operates is they wait until they're backed into a corner, and only at that point will they do something about it. And even at that point, they're going to try to find a way to push it off for as long as humanly possible. We're seeing it right now with Social Security and, and Medicare, and those are ticking time bombs that within the next 30 years, there are going to be major decisions that need to be made. And at that point, we're going to be tens of trillions of dollars further in debt. But th- there, are, there eventually will be a day of reckoning where they have to make a decision on those. But they're not showing any indication that they're willing to make the tough decisions now, that they're willing to make any sort of decision now to stave off that day of reckoning to push it off significantly further in the future at the very least. They're not even willing to do that, to make small cuts now, to push it further into the future. They're not even willing to do that. So that's the way that this government operates. That's the way the Fed is operating. They're operating on a very short-term basis. They're basically looking at this for the rest of the year. They're looking at this to the election. And there's not going to be a rate hike at these next two meetings. There's not going to be a rate hike September 21st or November 2nd, November 2nd will be right before the election. It's not going to happen. What will be interesting is what happens coming out of the election. So the obviously the most important thing will be who will be the Fed chair. Now, if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, it's going to be Janet Yellen. I don't see any reason for her to replace Yellen. But Trump, Trump would nominate somebody else. He, he, he definitely would. I, I don't know who it would be. Um, but Trump's not going to want to raise rates at that point. Obviously, he's not going to have direct control over this person. But whoever, you know, whoever he wants to be the Fed chair, obviously, there's going to be an agreement in place. That you're going to kind of do what I want to do. And Trump's not going to want to come into office and immediately have a huge drop in the stock market. I mean, 
that may drop your approval ratings to the point where you can never rebound from it, no matter what you do the rest of your presidency, and then you're a one-term president. So all the political reasons behind this whole, I mean, this whole seven to eight years of zero interest rate policy, or effectively zero interest rate policy, it's, it's maddening. And this is all the evidence I think we need to show that we should not have a central bank intervening in market interest rates. And if anything, if, if there's any period of time where there's a great argument that we should not have a central bank, it is this period of time, this last seven or eight years. I mean, you can go back, you can look at prior to the Great Depression, the Fed played an enormous role in fueling the bubble that eventually burst and caused the Great Depression. So you can go there, tremendous argument against central banks, tremendous argument against the Fed. You can look at what the Fed did leading up to the Great Recession. Once again, tremendous argument against the Fed. I, so you can use both of those and no other arguments and you would be just fine. But if you look at what the Fed has done since the Great Recession. So after the Great Recession, there was a great opportunity to allow our economy to reset. So to allow rates to rise to their natural level, to allow resources to be reallocated to their most productive uses. Yes, there's temporary pain. I mean, there, there was pain as it was, and that was with the Fed trying to blow up new bubbles so that we wouldn't have to feel all the pain right then and there. But what did they do? They made it worse. They cut rates significantly to historically low levels and pumped a tremendous amount of created money into the economy. It, it created huge distortions. And the day of reckoning, when it does come, we're going to see the effects of, everyth of everything that's happened. So you cannot pump trillions of dollars into the U.S. economy of created money. Keep rates at these levels. And people my age, they haven't known interest rates to be at any sort of sustainable level over the long term. And it's completely distorted how people approach borrowing money. And that's just individual people. For businesses, it's been the same way. They've borrowed all this money to, to invest in capital projects. And yeah, maybe it's working now because the bubble is still going. But when the bubble bursts, all these people are going to be left standing there and, and holding this capital that they cannot get enough return on. And the bubble being blown up larger, it's just going to make the pain that much more. There's going to be that much, that much more in misallocated resources out there that needs to be reset. And the process is only going to take longer than it would have been if we had just allowed everything to be reset in 2008, 2009. But that's not what the Fed did. And now Bernanke is being held up as this hero. And it's just embarrassing that Ben Bernanke is this kind of American hero. Calls his book The Courage to Act. It's, it's just ridiculous. And now Janet Yellen's following down the same path and making things even worse. And yeah, I know Bernanke was politically popular because he did stave off some of the pain that people would have felt coming out of the Great Recession. And I think that's the problem with the Fed being so intertwined in politics. And it is intertwined with politics. And I know you get the argument, oh, well, it's, but it's independent of the government. No, it's not. It is maybe officially, but it's not. They have every political incentive. They want to stay in office. They have a short-term viewpoint, just like politicians do. 
politicians are just fighting for their next term. The Fed chairs, they're fighting to stay in office longer. They're fighting to stay at their position longer. You know, they can go and they can make a lot more money in the private sector, sure, but they're not going to have another role with this kind of influence or this many people talking about them. So they definitely want to stay in power, without a doubt. And they operate just like politicians do. The beautiful thing about market interest rates, if we just if we did not have a central bank, we did not have a central authority with any sort of influence over interest rates, is it's a composite of all of our preferences, all of our actions, and that's not subject to political influence, assuming it's it's free of, of government control and government manipulation or central bank control or central bank manipulation. It's an aggregate of what all of us see, what all of our preferences are, what all of our opinions are about the future of future of the economy. There's not power concentrated in one person or in, in one board or you know in in one small oligarchy of people. It simply wouldn't happen in that system. And so I'm hoping that people more and more people are going to wake up to what the Fed is doing. And I think in this next crash, because not enough people are talking about it now, so there's no way we're going to stave off the upcoming crash. I think the bubble the bubble is far too large, and there's nothing we can really do to stop it now. But it's going to be, how do we, re- how do we react once that bubble bursts? Once the crash comes, how do we react? And what I'm hoping is, and I, I've had kind of a theme on the show talking about the problem with the establishment and talking a lot about how people are rising up against the establishment opinions and starting to realize that the establishment has been consistently wrong time and time again. So I'm hoping that people realize in the next crash, and it'll be so close to when the recession of 2008 happened, that they realize, you know, the establishment was wrong when they praised Ben Bernanke and the Fed. The Fed took the most action following the Great Recession. And once we have this next crash, I think more and more people are going to connect those dots and are finally going to be able to call out the Fed for what it is. And I know that monetary policy and really the way that the central bank works in the system is complicated. And maybe the average person doesn't care. And even if they did care, maybe they wouldn't understand how it all works. It's easier to not care about it because it is kind of complex and it's hard to see the logic and how it leads to how it affects your life, how it affects the average person's life. But I think with the spread of information, you'll be able to get that message out to people that now are going to be biased toward anti-establishment views. They're going to be biased toward blaming the system for what happened. And in the past, definitely in the Great Recession of 2008, they labeled capitalism to be the problem it was all capitalism's fault that's the system i guess that that people were rallying against that's that's what occupy wall street was all about but you can't say that we now have pure capitalism in america we have significantly less capitalism than we had prior to the great recession because of all the distortions put into the market by the fed all the new regulations that have come out of the, the Great Recession. The banking industry is more regulated than ever before, no matter what 
the left wants to say, the far left, no matter what the people that want to call for Glass-Steagall to come back want to say, the banks are more regulated than ever before. So what we really need to hope for and what we need to prepare our message for, and I'm saying we being people critical of the Fed, being uh, more liberty-minded folks, um, what we need to prepare to do is get this message out there if and when the crash happens. Well, when the crash happens. There's really no if about it. Of course, there are going to be bigger things to worry about, but that will be an opportunity to get the anti-Fed, anti-central banking, anti-manipulation of interest rates, get that whole message out there to the general public. And maybe people that don't agree with us uh, on many other issues, on economics, uh, on politics, on just about anything else, people will be willing to come around. And I've seen a lot of people critical of the Fed from the far left now it's getting them to the point where they realize why the Fed is so dangerous. You know, you can criticize the Fed for a lot of different reasons, but I think not enough people get to the point where they really realize what the effect of manipulating interest rates is. And that's really at the heart of Austrian economics, which I think if people actually did give it time, they would find it much more palatable than the macroeconomics that you get taught in high school, more often in college. Uh, high school economics classes typically are extremely basic and just deal with supply and demand but um, that's what we need to be preparing for and I, I think there is going to be a demand for that type of that type of knowledge and really for that kind of anti-establishment type of view but to look look at things more in the short term um, the sovereign debt bubble is going to continue to inflate and really the bond bubble as a whole is going to continue to inflate. I think sovereign bonds are the worst right now, uh, the worst offender. Whenever there's an asset like negative yielding government debt that absolutely nobody is planning to hold to maturity, I think by definition it's a bubble. It's the greater fool theory, and that's how so many great bubbles start, when nobody plans to hold an asset over the long haul. When nobody's planning to own it, when it when it's going to mature, you're by definition expecting somebody else to to be holding it, to be taking that loss, or to be taking the downside of that asset. And stocks, I think, are going to continue. They're going to continue to hover around where they are now. Uh, I don't know when we're going to see any sort of substantial decline. They've they've kind of been. I know they keep saying. Stocks are at historic highs, and it, they have done well. The U.S. markets have done quite well uh, in the past month or so. But on the year, they have been volatile, and I think they are stagnating. I think this bull market, if you want to call it a bull market, which it has been. It's been you know, an artificial bull market, but it has been a bull market. Uh, it can't last much longer. Uh, we are very near the top, if not at the top. And I think with the election approaching, we're going to see it happen, regardless of what the Fed does, whether or not the Fed reduces rates or raises rates, you know, whatever they do, um, no matter what the rhetoric is coming out of their meetings, if they keep trying to talk out of both sides of their mouth and, and have, because they want the markets to believe that they are going to raise rates eventually to keep the dollar strong. But at the same time, they want 
enough people to see, oh, they're not raising rates now, so the market gets a, a short-term boost. And they've been playing that game for months upon months, for years, really. So that really goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, the argument I was, I was framing at the beginning, how they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, and they've been having their cake and eating it too. But eventually you run out of cake. So this is going to be interesting to watch unfold, and I've really enjoyed... I'd say Peter Schiff's analysis has been great, and I know people rail on Peter because he's always bearish, always calling for for stock market crashes, and he's made very uh, strong calls on on gold, on gold going to extremely high prices. But he has been the most prescient analyst on how the Fed has approached this entire game, and he he's who I would recommend listening to. Uh, he has been through this before. He knows the exact box that the Fed has pushed itself back into, and it's a box that they cannot get out of. They're in a corner, and you know, they're they're surrounded. They cannot they cannot move themselves from that corner. And every single month, they get pushed up further and further, and eventually they run out of space. Eventually, they get asphyxiated against that corner. But it's really a matter of time of when that happens. And they've managed to make a little bit of space in that corner last for a really long time by talking out of both sides of their mouth, by getting different groups of people to believe different things, to take value or to, you know, to take words out of their statements and to make something big out of them. Like, oh, the, the, the Fed's getting bullish about the, US, about the U.S. economy as a whole, so it's going to raise rates in the next meeting or the meeting after. While at the same time, there are enough people that see, oh, they didn't raise rates now. Maybe they take another word out and say, oh, the, the Fed is bearish on the U.S. economy. So they're not going to raise rates. So th- there's enough of a stock market boost and the dollar stays strong enough to perpetuate this nonsense. So it's going to be interesting to follow. Uh, interesting. I, I wish I was more of, an, <laughs> more of a distant observer. I can't really say a crash would affect me terribly much it's not like i have a i have a huge fortune built up or anything uh but you know i am part of the u.s economy and and it will affect me in in some way when this does happen and if it if it really does come to the point where there's hyperinflation there's a there's a real dollar disaster it could affect everybody in this country substantially now i don't know if it's going to get to that point but it really depends on on how long the fed avoids taking the action that needs to be done in order to save this economy. And I have no faith that they will, just like I have no faith that the U.S. government's willing to step up and make tough decisions until they absolutely need to or until it forces them to default on on the debt or, you know, it, it forces them to, to abandon entire sections of the government, entire portions of the government, which I would be okay with personally. So thank you for listening. I'm going to keep trying to update about the Fed when when things come out that deserve to be talked about. But this is just a phenomenon that is really unprecedented. And that's really going back in history and, and looking at what's happened with the Fed. Uh, but th- there has not been another point like this. I, you could say the polar opposite was maybe the, the Paul, Volcker, Paul Volcker years when he raised prime rates to, uh, you know, tw- Primary got up to 20%, but um, that was in the opposite direction. That was, I think, kind of where we're headed, where we would need 
a Volcker to come in and raise rates to that level in order to curb massive inflation. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to watch unfold no matter what happens. This is, it's really on historic levels, and it's going to be a bust of epic proportions. The, the longer we wait, the bigger it's going to be. So thank you for listening. Hopefully I'll have another, another episode out for you guys soon.